Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning, everyone. Our second scripture reading today is from Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me, for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decrees. The word of the Lord. Hey, friends. Welcome to Genesis and welcome to those of you who are new around here. (laughs) This is us, quirky, weird, beautiful us. We love videos with inanimate objects. Those are the best. Thank you, Allie. Uh, That psalm that Bree just read, um, it's a wilderness prayer. And it's written for anyone who feels lost, confused, uh, alone, anyone who's losing hope in life, losing touch with God. So if that's you, uh, that psalm is written so you can pray it with people all throughout the generations who have felt that way and people who are feeling that way now. Uh, With words like, don't let me be put to shame for you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy and don't remember the sins of my youth. It's like this person looking back and saying, I hope, I pray that the things that used to characterize me, the things that I feel shamed about aren't foremost in your mind, God. So uh, also in this week's lectionary uh, portion, we read the gospel. Brian read it earlier from Mark 1. We find Jesus in the wilderness and being tempted by Satan, being surrounded by wild beasts. And we know that Jesus prayed the Psalms when he prays on the cross, uh, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's actually quoting 
Psalm 22. So we know he prayed the Psalms. And I wonder, did he pray Psalm 25 when he was in the wilderness, when he felt alone, when he maybe felt like he was losing touch with life and losing hope, losing touch with God? The journey of Lent, as Allie reminded us, is a journey into the wilderness where, like Jesus, we're going to face the wild beasts of our false selves and the haunting echoes of our own sin patterns. Uh, you know you're in the wilderness, you guys, when you've left normal life and you're not sure when or if you'll return. <laughs> Sound familiar? I mean, that's like been the last 12 months we have been in this wilderness. Normally in Lent, we have to sort of pretend we're in the wilderness or create patterns or disciplines that sort of make us feel like when they're in, when we're in the wilderness, but really we just know that at the end of 40 days, we can eat that chocolate or drink that bourbon again. Right. Uh, but, but we have actually been in the wilderness for a long time. And those of you that are experiencing illness or like our friend, Scotty Nelson, who with his full beard and full head of hair now, uh, we are reminded that a year ago he was um, taking cancer treatments, and that was the wilderness, right, Scotty? Uh, if you've lost a loved one and you don't know how to do life right now, nothing feels normal. That's life in the wilderness. And so this Psalm 25 has four different movements, and we're going to go through them together. And each movement speaks to an aspect of life in the wilderness, each movement also gives us an opportunity to return to God. So the first movement, let me just read it again. It's in verses one through three. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Don't let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. So I think in this first movement, this first, these first verses in this wilderness psalm, it speaks to the wilderness reality of facing the shame we all carry. For anyone who has been hurt by an enemy, whether that enemy is a person or a system, someone who was wantonly treacherous to you, and think about that. Has there been anyone in your life, maybe even these days, who's treated you in such a way that has left you carrying shame? An enemy who's been wantonly treacherous. Those are big words, but I love that in the Psalms, we read those big words because they don't, they don't just glide over life as if life with God is pain-free. Life with God sometimes includes facing down enemies who pile on the shame on you. And it's written right there in the scriptures so that we can find a way out. So in this movement, it speaks to the reality of the shame that we carry, but it also invites us to lift up our souls, our true selves, so that God can see us and remove our shame. The very first person that God speaks to in the wilderness in uh, the book of Genesis, is this woman, this female Egyptian slave named Hagar. And she escapes to the wilderness after Abram and Sarai, who are God's people, 
uh, use her body to get a son that they have been waiting for from God, but they're sick of waiting. So they try to do it on their own, but doing it on their own means using the body of an actual person, Hagar, this woman. And so she's out in the wilderness. She, she thinks she's going to die, but then God meets her and speaks to her. And when you read that in Genesis 16, it's like, oh yeah, of course, you know, this person God speaks to, but it's utterly amazing that the first time that God speaks to someone in the, in the wilderness, it's not a person that's like on the team, on God's team. It's someone that's a slave, someone that's, well, a slaves are on God's team. That's, that's proving the point, but it's not the children of Israel. It's not a hero. It's an Egyptian slave girl. Ugh. And it's so profound in Genesis 16, 13, that Hagar names God. Hagar gives God a name. She says, she names God, the Lord who sees me. You are the God who sees me. So to anyone who's lost in shame, to anyone who has an experience where an enemy has been wantonly treacherous to you through actions or words, there's a God that sees you and sees your shame and wants to name you something other than what you've been named by this enemy. In fact, the word for wilderness in Hebrew, let's, let's get nerdy for a second, people. Let's get real nerdy, Danny and Allie. <laughs> the, the word for wilderness in Hebrew is midbar, M-I-D-B-A-R. Of course, that's uh, Hebrew doesn't have vowels, but that would be the transliteration of it. And the root of midbar is deber, which means to speak. So the wilderness is the place of speech. It's the place where God speaks. Ah, I love that. So let's do our first all play. The all play questions this week are going to be like, feel free to just do them in your mind if that feels more comfortable, because I think they're going to feel a little intense maybe. But here's the question. I'm actually going to try to share it on the screen here. Um, here we go. Okay, trying, trying. Okay. What is it like? You can use the chat to answer this question, you guys. What is it like to carry the weight of shame? And what's it like to have it removed from you? Use the chat to answer. What's it like to carry the weight of shame? And what's it like to have it removed from you? Use the chat to answer. Anne says it's lonely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Nate, it's like you've lost your rightful place in the world. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Bob, still admin, huh, Bob? I love that. You're just going to hold on to that. Anxiety that it's still part of my past. Yeah. Yeah. Michelle says it's suffocating. Peyton says it's isolating. Oh, that's from Jesse. Says it's isolating. Yeah. Oh, Izzy, yes, Izzy, it feels awful when you're still carrying it and it feels good to have it removed. Give it up for Izzy Link, some wisdom. Joan, it's twirly. Having it removed is a sweet relief. Dave Schlenk, it's consuming, absolutely. Leah, it bleeds into every part of my life or every part of life, absolutely. 
um, it's like not showering for a long time, Bethany, and then finally taking a really long shower and stepping out squeaky clean. Ugh. And carrying shame, it becomes your identity. Peyton, carrying the weight of it is like having a tweaked neck muscle, yes. And having it removed is the release of stretching or a massage with a pain, yeah. Ugh. Kara, yes, it feels normal when it's been your whole life, yes. And the release from it is disorienting and wonderful. Laura says, shame is familiar. Oh, yes. Uh, Bob, frustrated that I cannot seem to accept the truth of forgiveness as guilt is too deep. And then Laura, big amen to what Kara said. Yeah, you. Whew. So this psalm invites us to name those places where we're carrying shame, even if we've done it for a long time. Those wilderness places where it's felt like that's the only thing that has identified me. But we're also invited to hear the voice of God speak to us saying, no, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. You are someone that I love. Ah, that's so good, isn't it? So let's move to the second movement of this psalm in verses four and five. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all day long. Yes. Now, this part of the prayer in verses four and five, to me, it sounds a little bit like a beginner's prayer. You know, like, hey, I'm, this is the first day of class of grad school. I'm showing up with my trapper keeper and my books. And so make me know your ways, oh Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Uh, and, but then I'm reminded that the, the writer of this psalm is someone who says, don't, rem don't remember the sins of my youth. So this is someone who've, who's walked with God for a long time. This is someone, this is not the first go around for this person. So like, what does it mean when someone says that's been walking in God's ways for a long time? What does it mean when they say, make me know your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. It's like the person is saying the path that I used to be on toward you, God, it's not working anymore. It's not leading me to you anymore. And I maybe used to think that I knew your ways, but now maybe I don't. Maybe I used to walk around thinking that I knew you, but maybe I don't, right? So this second movement, I think, speaks to the wilderness reality of needing a new path to follow. And can I get some snaps on that. Can I get any men that the Bible itself seems to say that, that there is a path that maybe you walked on earlier and maybe it was a good path and maybe it was necessary back then, but now if you're going to keep walking with God, you're going to need to learn how to walk on a new path. Is that liberating for some? I hope it is. It's liberating for me. And it's right there in the Bible. So the second movement speaks to the wilderness reality of needing a new path to follow. 
And in this movement, we're also invited to abandon all pathways to God, except the path that God chooses for us. It's not, a, it's not enough to walk the path that everybody else walks. It's not enough to walk the path that used to lead you. You have to be led in the ways of God now, the ones that lead you to God now. And I think of the words that the prophet Jeremiah spoke in Jeremiah 6, 16. I love this verse when the children of Israel were in the wilderness of exile. Thus, you got to like the word thus, thus says the Lord, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies and walk in it and find rest for your soul. Ah, let me read that again. Stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies and walk in it and find rest for your souls. What do you think it means to ask for the ancient paths, right? What do you think? What do you think it means to ask for the ancient paths? Oh, and Nate, new path theology leaves room for us to be human and change. We can become different people multiple times during our lives, and that's okay. Not only is that okay, but maybe that's how God has designed us to be. Because if God is ultimate mystery, if God is, if there's, which means, as Richard Rohr says, not that God is unknowable, but that God is endlessly knowable. If God is endlessly knowable, then there's, then we have to keep growing and changing. We have to keep walking along the ancient paths. We have to pick the good way. So I'm going to do another all play question here. I'm going to try to get it up on the screen. And here we go. Would anyone like, and this is, whoo, this would be risky, but it'd be fine if anyone chooses not to put anything on the chat, but chooses just to talk to someone that you're in the room with or just think about it. But would anyone like to name their desire to abandon an old path that has left you weary so that you can choose a different one where the good way lies? Like you can do that on your own, naming it, naming that reality, but you can also do it right here in the chat. We can be, we can be wilderness wanderers together, right? Uh, would anyone like to name using the chat, your desire to abandon an old path that has left you weary so that you can choose a different one where the good way lies. What an invitation, what a wilderness invitation. Then you feel the need, the desire to ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies. And the word for good there is tov, which as we've learned before means uh, that which keeps giving life, that which keeps birthing new life. Um, Bob, oh, that's so great. I wish to leave the place where I need to be right. Oh, that's great. And Deb, I wish to leave the place of procrastination. This old path has left me weary. And Bethany says, amen to Deb. <laughs> yes, me too. And as you're thinking about it, like, so what would it mean? What would it look like? to choose a different path where the good way lies. And you believe that God wants to walk with you in that path. Is he not keeping my room clean? Yes, yes. 
a Christian, you wish to leave the fear of not of doing things the wrong way. Oh my goodness, me too. Me too. Me too. Uh, Peyton, I wish to leave the path where I need to understand 100%. Ugh. Thank you for naming that. And then Brian's giving Izzy a big old amen. <laughs> yes. Laura says, I want to leave the path of certainty and open my hands to being okay with not having or even needing to know the answers. Whew. Bob, I wish to enter the place where I listen more than I speak. Uh, Mark, the constant need for safety. Yes. Thank you, Mark. That's a big one. Nate, I want to leave the path where I need other people to be like me. This is so courageous, you guys. And yes, Bob, amen, Nathan. Amen, Nate. Um, this is so courageous to use this time in Lent to name the wilderness paths of uh, not knowing, or sorry, not, um, <laughs> guys, I don't even know if I, if I stopped sharing. Did I stop sharing? I meant to. I should have someone else do it. Am I, am I, did we stop sharing? Yes? Okay, good. Um, thank you for naming those courageous things that you wish to leave. That's one of the invitations of Lent, is to be in the wilderness long enough to where you, that thing that has worked for you forever, no longer works. And when you've experienced the pain of it enough, then you'll change it. You'll, you'll change your path. You'll choose a different path. You'll choose the path where the good way lies. Oh, Noah, Noah Goodwin, leaving behind the want for people to work at my pace and for them to work at their own pace. That's Noah Goodwin, everybody. Come on, kids, leading the way. Snaps, Noah. So good. Well, feel free to keep naming those things, but let's move to the third movement, verses six and seven. Be mindful of your mercy, O God, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old, from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my, my, my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Uh, the word sin is such a big, such a heavy word, right? But we got to at least name it so that we're not trapped under the weight of the guilt of it. This third movement, I think, speaks to the wilderness reality of feeling forgotten by God because of guilt over sin. Do not remember the sins of my youth. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord. In this movement, uh, we are invited to tangibly experience the goodness of God, full of mercy and steadfast love. And Jesse, you wish to leave the hurt behind that I was never meant to carry. Yes, yes. Cecilia, I don't think I've ever asked myself this question in this way. So much to think about. And yes, and Laura, certainty, amen. Bob, I have known the extravagant love of God, but I've not been able to fully accept it. Okay, that's it, right, Bob? That's it for all of us. So, but instead of saying like, well, it's probably impossible. What if it was possible to experience God's goodness? What if it was possible to trade in those old pictures of God that just are damaging, right? So I think about the passage in Revelation 3.20, Revelation. It's not about the end times, folks. It's really not. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. It is about learning to choose um, God and through Jesus over the systems of this world that are so heavily in charge. And so in Revelation 3.20, Jesus offers this picture, this metaphor. 
And Jesus says, listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. And the word for eat there is the same word for Eucharist or communion. It's I will commune with you. I will, I will experience a kind of life with you that looks like the Eucharist life where I laid down my life for you. Now, so many of us, when you think about Jesus laying down his life, you think about the cross and even Lent, getting the cross in ashes on our forehead. Most of us were taught a theology that goes a little bit something like this. You're sinful and God hates your sin. God can't even look at you because of your sin. So God sent Jesus, uh, angry dad God sent Jesus to die so that finally God can look at you because now God only sees Jesus. But before God couldn't stand to look at you because of your sin. And then, but now, because Jesus died and Jesus is separate from God in this theology, uh, now, because what Jesus did, God can look at you and you're supposed to love that God. Well, just by, by show of hands, has anyone ever had a problem loving that God who separated God's self and sort of made, you know, Jesus to be the good guy because God was the bad guy? Uh, I think it's time to leave that bad theology. I think it's time to jettison. That's, that's bad theology, people. That's just bad, bad theology. Second Corinthians 5.19 says this, for God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting God, not counting people's sins against them. So here's the reality. Dying on the cross isn't something that God forced Jesus to do like separately. Dying on the cross is who God is. It shows us who God is and God's love for us is so extravagant that God herself would lay down her life so that we could experience the love of God so that we can feel free and be free of the guilt of sin. Sin's real. It's real in my life, but I don't have to die under the weight of it. I don't have to die under the, the burden of it. So, Okay, here is another question, folks. Um, does anyone need to abandon an angry picture of God? So you can embrace a good picture of God who was in Christ on the cross because of her love for us. Does anyone just want a name? Um, and I'm going to catch up while, while, while you're thinking about that. But does anyone just need to name it? Yes. I have believed too long in an angry picture of God. I've believed in bad theology too long. And it's time for a different picture. Uh, and Will says, for me, if anyone find this helpful, I've had to learn to put my brain inside of my heart and learn how to let my brain have hard experiences with God. Will, that's so good. That's so, so good. And then uh, Nico is saying, I love that, Will. And Bob, Will, do you know a good brain heart surgeon? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, Izzy, that's not nice. I don't know if you're talking about that picture of God, but that's what I think. And uh, maybe I'm missing the one from Anne. Um, anyway, the God of retribution, Jessica, needs to lay, needs to let go of that God. 
I agree. <laughs> Izzy just said, nope, I don't have that theology. Turns out when you've, <laughs> oh my goodness, that's sweet and funny. I'm so glad that you don't have to labor under that bad theology. Uh, Brian, the kids and I had a great conversation over dinner last night about leaving behind the idea of a God who was so angry and the need to kill something not to be angry. Exactly. Good for you, Brian, to have that, for having that good conversation with your kids. Um, the Bible also says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, right? And I've mostly left that, but it creeps back in sometimes. I know it does for me too. It does, it does for me too, but you know, the reality for most of us is when we're resisting God, it's because we don't, we don't have a picture of a God that is loving and gracious. We have a picture of God that is right, that, that wants to have retribution and revenge over us. And why would we want to embrace that kind of a God? Whew. Okay. Uh, fourth movement. Verses eight through 10. God, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he or she instructs sinners in the way. He or she leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decrees. So I think this fourth and final movement speaks to the wilderness reality of carrying the heavy burden of all of our prideful attempts at self-improvement. Anybody? Anybody? Anybody relate to the, the, the endless journey of trying to self-improve? I'm so sick of that for myself. And Lent can turn into that. I'm going to give this up so I can become a better person. Blech. That's bad theology too. Uh, in this movement, we're invited to embrace gentleness and humility, living a life marked finally only by love and faithfulness, not by achievements, not by success, not even by, you know, I am so good and righteous because I look like Christ. No, I'm so good and righteous because I'm marked by love and faithfulness and a humble heart. I think of Jesus' invitation to put down the heavy burden of self-improvement. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, let me catch up on the chat. Um, Nate, I still fear the look of disappointment on God's face, the same look I fear for my parents. Yep, for so many of us, our parents are the picture of God that we carry. Uh, and they're trying their best. They did their best, you know, but it is. Peyton, I live, I lived in the fear that God had written a story for me full of trauma, death, and sickness. Whew. Yes. Um, and amen, Nate, from Nico. And then from Bob, I believe God's love is for everyone, even for those who do not keep his covenant and decrees. I agree with you, Bob. Peyton, I've since grown into the hope that I have that the Lord has a life for me that's also full of joy and blessings. Yes. Rajan, I was brought up with a picture of a, of a benevolent God. I didn't realize God was an angry God until I spent a few years in the Catholic Church. But I've always been complacent about God's love for me. I want to learn more. Yeah. Okay, and Peyton, that was Jesse. Thanks, Jesse. Nate, the hard part is that our picture of our parents is often more of an accurate picture of how we view God than our theology, 100%. That's what we're trying to do here is unpack some bad theology and embrace a God that is full of love. So here's the last all play question, y'all. 
what prideful attempts at self-improvement do you need to finally put down? We're not talking about sin here, unless self-improvement is sin, and maybe it is. So you can embrace the gentleness, embrace gentleness and humility, a life marked only by faithfulness and love. What, what attempts at self-improvement do you finally need to put down? Anyone uh, courageous enough to name them? Ooh, for me, it's, ugh, it's, it's, um, for me, it's, it's needing to not have any limits and to do everything, you know, that self-improvement project of needing to achieve and do everything. I'm so tired of it. Um, I'd like to stop failing at self-improvement, Mark says. Yes, that's awesome. I care of perfection. Yeah, perfection such a bully, isn't it? Isn't it? It tells us that enough is never enough. You just got to keep cranking. Uh, Peyton, I think feeling like God is distant and I need to do something to be closer. When I can just accept that she is close all the time and nothing I do or don't changes that. Amen. Rajan, I'll need to continue to talk to my therapist about this. Yes. Uh, Maddie. By the way, Maddie, the slide guitar is so gorgeous. Thank you so much for that, Maddie. Oh, this is Dan. Learning my job faster than my brain or mind will allow. Letting myself learn at my own pace. Yes, yes. And Mark, big old yes to Rajan. Well, you can keep, continue to use the chats uh, because I am out of time, but I just want to read Psalm 25 again before I uh, read the prayers of confession. To you, oh, maybe this is a psalm that just can carry you all throughout Lent. Just do it as many times as you need to and move through these movements as many times as you need to. To you, oh Lord, I lift up my soul, my true self. Oh my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Um, do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you await all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for your, for your goodness sake. O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he or she instructs sinners in the way. She leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble her way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenants and his decrees. Rest easy today, my friends. God is for you. Amen. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.